the election is coming up on November 6th, and you can vote for the second congressional district race. And on one side, you have a Tiburon investment advisor, Dan Roberts, as the Times Standard points out, is a champion of small government who said that he would cut funding to the Environmental Protection Agency and is unsure about the science behind global warming, which I find horrific, but that's what he's saying. Now, opposite him, Jared Huffman of San Rafael. He's an environmental lawyer, serving his last term in the State Assembly and a former member of the Natural Resources Defense Council, and he's beside me now. Good morning, Mr. Huffman. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Should I call you Jared? May I call you Jared? Jared works great. Okay. It seems a little disrespectful, but if you want to go with it. All right, Jared, it is. So right now, you are involved in a race that has uh, dragged on for a while now. How's it going as far as you're concerned? Uh, I think it's going well. It's great to be in the home stretch. We've been at this a long time, and and uh, I'm thrilled. I, I feel like we've uh, we've got a great energy behind our campaign. I feel like the the values and the positions and priorities that I'm articulating are are the ones that this district cares about. And I don't mean to take a side here, but I do try to look at the world clearly. And it appears to me, conventional wisdom tells me that this is your race to lose. That Dan Roberts is really fighting an uphill battle here. Well, there are, uh, that would be conventional wisdom. Okay. We've seen exceptions to that conventional wisdom in political history, and my job is to, to work very, very hard uh, to make sure I win this race. I've come too far not to do that. Of course. Which is not to say that you won't take it seriously and you're just sort of coasting towards the end, but yeah. it appears to me that he has some challenges ahead of him, but uh, he's ready to face them. Yeah, and it's not, in my opinion, just Republican versus Democrat. Uh, really, he's got some positions that are going to be hard to sell in this district. He's got a very nuanced position on women's reproductive rights, uh, sort of a conceptual pro-choice position, but wants to defund Planned Parenthood, things like that. Um, On environmental protection and global warming, he's badly out of step, uh, I think, with the values and the realities uh, that are out there. Uh, On core government programs like Social Security and Medicare uh, is actually a little bit to the right of Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney doesn't even want to uh, privatize Social Security, but my opponent does, wants to voucherize Medicare, wants to repeal the Affordable Care Act, and so on. By the way, if you want to talk to uh, Jared Huffman, you can call in at 786-574-786-574. And this is a broad, uh, open question here, but why do you want to uh, run for office, or why have you done this? Well, believe it or not, I like being a legislator. Uh, I have been a state legislator the last six years during one of the toughest stretches one could possibly uh, serve, you know, with the global economy falling off a cliff, the worst fiscal crisis since the Great Depression. It's been challenging, but it's also just an incredibly rewarding experience uh, to do this job. And I, I look now at a congressional district that goes from the Oregon border all the way down to the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, huge, incredible challenges and opportunities, and I would just be very, very honored to represent it. And I realize this is a question that most politicians will not answer when asked uh, about future plans, or of mm-hmm. course you're focusing on the immediate uh, future yeah. and the race and the challenges uh, before you. But do you have any uh, long-term plans for higher office? No. No, I can I can say that unequivocally. I don't aspire to be president or really? anything like sure? that. Really? Okay. Honestly. Yeah, I would love to uh, close it out uh, as a member of the House of Representatives representing a district like this. That would be wonderful. And the race itself, how has it been? Because, of course, these things can get uh, rather heated and Mm -hmm. negative at times, uh, and uh, people run bruising campaigns. But this one 
does not appear to be that way, or, or has it been for you? Do you have you taken any hits that you sort of winced at? Or um, it's been a good race. I, I think it's set the right tone. We've had differences, and and we just finished our last debate in Fort Bragg a, a few nights ago. Very sharp differences on just about every issue that you can think of, but it's been respectful. We're not calling each other names. We're not personalizing it. I mean, it's not like we're on Ambien or anything, and the, this is a, a completely uh, boring uh, debate. We we clash, but um, I think Dan Roberts is a gentleman. I like him. I'd let him babysit my kids. Really? Yeah. Has he offered? No, he hasn't. He's not. But uh, it's, he's, it's I trust there. him. I think he's a good guy. Okay. But has there been any opposition research that you know of that has been particularly stinging or anything on that level? Well, we did just get the financial reports, and he did pay thirteen thousand uh, dollars of the twenty thousand that he raised. He sp- spent thirteen on op research. He did. I, I haven't seen any evidence of its value. But uh, primarily, I think he researched my voting record, and he saw that, yeah, I have supported environmental causes. I've been pro-consumer. I have voted for some fee and tax increases where I thought that was necessary to support education and things like that. But you haven't heard any strange clicks on your phone calls or uh, things disappearing from your lawn or your garbage overturned or anything like that? Not quite, no. Not? Okay. And opposition research on this level when it comes to a a, a district race like this, is that common or is that unusual? Do you have someone who is uh, sort of a a practitioner of the dark arts at that point? (laughs) That's a Harry Potter reference my daughter would appreciate. You know, at this point in the general election, no. I have not looked at Dan Roberts' background. I'm not particularly interested in it. I've been focused since I began this campaign on my message and my record. I think if you've got uh, a good affirmative vision, if you've got a record of accomplishment, you don't need to do much more than that. And when it comes to the ideas that you have, uh, of course, the the country and the state in particular uh, and the district, we're all facing these serious challenges. The uh, economy is is in trouble. And I, I hear that constantly that people will try to uh, create jobs and these these broad ideas. But when it comes down to actually solving those problems, can that be done? Can you do that in the office that you're running for? You can be part of a solution. I mean, it, it starts with one person. You know, you, you have to find other people that want to solve problems. You have to build out from there. Right now, we have a Congress that, that seems to just want to fight about problems instead of solving them. It's annoying. It is. Absolutely. But how would you face that when you reached that if, if, if that uh, that form, if in fact you do win? I mean, how would you cope with that, this, this well, gridlock? Will you allow me to use a rather crass analogy? I encourage it. So I grew up in the Midwest, and there was a, a saying that I remember that, you know, if you've got a hundred kids peeing in the pool, what do you do? You don't panic. You pull them out one at a time. Okay. And okay. you you can do that? <laughs> one one representative at a, at a time is how it's got to begin. So I believe in trickle up uh, government reform. Okay, nice. like starts it. with one person. The next member of Congress from this district uh, goes there with a problem-solving attitude, is willing to make some friends across the aisle, out of their maybe out of their political comfort zone, and and pretty soon you have the makings of problem solving. And people have heard that the economy here in California is in grave danger and we're in trouble. And the governor, of course, has some ideas about fixing it. But how bad is bad? Here in California, I, I truly believe that we've we've found the floor and we are repelling up, uh, especially if Prop 30 passes. If, if we can get those revenues in place to make sure that we're... In, investing and, and climbing out of the hole for education and also for public safety. As the economy rebounds, we're going to be able to do even more. And, and I actually think California's on the rebound. Really? Yeah, I do. Okay. And 
what is your your first step once you get there to start addressing these these problems? Will you just sort of try to get to lay the land and then try? Yeah. But is there a, a concrete idea that you have that you're trying to sell right now? About there's improving? no one thing. Okay. Anybody that says there's you know one simple fix to the 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 very slow economic recovery to the debt to the deficit to the many things that are uh, that are uh, dragging us down right now is I think being disingenuous. But I think there are several discrete things that can help a lot and taken together can make the difference. One of them is tax fairness. We have allowed our tax system to be skewed uh, over the course of the last couple of decades uh, too far in, in favor of the super wealthy and uh, against opportunities for the middle class. That needs to change. That starts with letting the Bush tax cuts expire, which they will on January the 1st. I'd like to put back in place sort of where we are. I'd like to hold current rates for the middle class until the economy gets stronger. But eventually, I think all the rates have to go back to where we were during the Clinton era if we are seriously fiscally responsible. You know, everybody talks about this debt and deficit and seems to take it seriously. But, you know, I hear too many people saying that uh, they're outraged about the debt and deficit, but they want to support Romney-like tax cuts. My opponent wants to do that while they increase military spending. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but that's going to make it worse. Well, it seems that way to me, and that seems logical. Uh, of course, there's this argument that uh, as, as the rich uh, sustain their lifestyle, that will trickle down to the rest of us. But that doesn't seem to make much sense to me. And in the real world, I don't know that uh, cutting taxes is really going to solve any, any, any problems. It's really not, and uh, I wasn't thrilled with the the fixation on tax cuts in the stimulus package, actually. I thought there was too much of that. That was meant as a political accommodation to try to uh, get bipartisan support. It didn't work. Uh, I would have preferred those dollars go right out to things that were going to create jobs immediately. And, uh, you know, I think public infrastructure is going to be a huge part of getting all this turned around. Back to your question about discrete things we can do to make it better. We've neglected our infrastructure. And so I see opportunities across the board from clean energy to transportation projects and uh, energy transmission and and, uh, all sorts of things. Investments in education have to be a huge part of the path forward if we're really going to compete for the future. We've neglected education at every level from early childhood all the way through to higher ed. And uh, so, the, you know, the government's got a huge role to play in that. If you have any questions for Jared Huffman, you can reach us right now at 786-5784, 786-5784. He's running for the second congressional district seat. When you talk about creating green jobs or clean energy, what what are you thinking of in concrete terms? What, what are you hoping to accomplish? Well, we're going to need to innovate. We're going to also need to level the playing field a bit. You know, we've been subsidizing fossil fuel development and and operations for a long time. And it's kind of interesting that uh, uh, my opponent and I, in in the last debate we had, uh, got into this issue a little bit. He asked me where I would cut government. I said, well, I'd cut the $4 billion in subsidies to to big oil. Uh, And he called that a tax increase. in the same breath, he was criticizing tax credits and other incentives we have for clean energy. So there's a real disconnect there uh, that you're, you're willing to subsidize the fossil fuel stuff for companies that are making record profits that are 
gouging consumers right now in every way they can. They always have. Uh, but you won't go there uh, for the stuff that we absolutely need for the energy sources of the future. I, I believe, as President Obama articulated in the debate a few nights ago, we, we've got to invest in the energy sources of the future. And that is going to require some uh, both tax incentives and some affirmative grants, loan guarantees, you know, the full toolbox of incentives. There was something that happened here recently in Humboldt County, specifically in Ferndale, where up on the mountain there was this uh, yeah. plan for a wind uh, farm, if I can call it that. And that uh, had been, oh, in the works for many years. And I know that because uh, they had some sort of testing uh, facility up there next to one of our transmitters. So I'd seen right. that there for years. And then finally, when it came around, uh, people were upset about, well, this has ruined the uh, tourism and it'll look terrible. And I found that a little mystifying. And I pushed back against that in whatever way I could. But in the end, they pulled out Shelwin energy they bailed because they just didn't they just didn't think it was feasible at some point but how do you are you in favor of wind energy and sure i am okay but that, that doesn't mean that you're not going to face siting issues and you're not going to have to make sure that your siting is appropriate in particular instances so uh look i'm in favor of photovoltaic solar too that doesn't mean i want to cut down forests and put up solar panels so we're gonna have to be smart about the way we roll these things out uh and and even with solar we've seen uh some tensions we've seen folks want to gravitate to these big huge solar arrays in the desert without regard for sensitive habitats out there i like the fact I, I like the opportunity to put solar in our built environment. It can go so nicely on rooftops and parking lots, and, and we really ought to be maximizing those opportunities for areas that don't have sensitive habitat conflicts. And do you see that having an immediate uh, beneficial effect? Because, of course, downrange in the future, it would be great if we all had these uh, opportunities. But in the immediate future, are those things going to have a dramatic impact and solve some of our are, are problems, I guess. I mean, these, the, yeah. the, these are such long-term solutions, it seems to me, or am I just thinking in well, a rather I, narrow way? I, it's not super long-term. We're, we're rapidly getting to the point where clean renewable energy is going to play a very prominent role in our energy mix here in California, and it's because of the policy leadership that we've shown. Um, so we can we can help make these things happen. And by the way, there's lots of jobs and investment dollars and research dollars that come along with all that. Uh, all of which is going to be good for the North Coast and for every other part of California. I found a quote in a Time Standard article uh, about oh, biomass uh, energy production. And, of course, uh, here locally, uh, there's been some news that the Scotia biomass plant, uh, they're shutting down in November, and they're laying off uh, 32 employees. But what are your plans for biomass energy production? Right. Well, I, th- I still think there's there's great potential for biomass. I want to get a better understanding for why the Scotia plant shut down. My sense is it probably had something to do with the low demand for wood, because biomass right now doesn't pencil out by itself. Uh, You have to be joined up with something else that is creating the the feedstock for biomass as sort of a byproduct. So whether that's a, uh, a healthy forest products industry, which right now we don't have because of the economy and the markets, uh, or something like fire safety, where you're going through and you're cleaning, uh, cl- thinning and clearing in forests, and you're bringing that stuff out to protect the public from wildfire. But that, that feedstock for biomass has to be a byproduct of something else or the numbers don't work. If you have a question for Jared Huffman, you can reach him at 786-5784, 786-5784. And 
Dan Roberts has not made a secret of the fact that he is skeptical of global warming, which yeah. I've lost all patience for over the years. But when I first started out in radio, I would talk to people about this, and, and, I, and I still do. But I've not seen anyone who is a credible scientist or someone who is a deep-thinking person who believes that global warming is not happening uh, on uh, as the result of man-made uh, well uh, difficulties in the world. Yeah. So... I, and then in a quote that I, I'm, I'm just, again, it makes me flinch. And by the way, I'm talking to Dan Roberts on Monday, so we'll get into this Good. at 10 o'clock on yeah. Monday, 10 a.m. But the science is unsettled on it. By the way, that's completely false. It's not unsettled. No. I, I worship at the altar of the hand of God and man, not science. Jared goes to the radical extreme. That's yes, you, Jared. I listen to that 90% of scientific community consensus. And uh, as I uh, say to Dan sometimes in our exchanges, look, if your cardiologist was telling you that unless you put in a stent, you were going to have a fatal heart attack, and if 9 out of 10 cardiologists you went and asked about this said the same thing, you'd probably get the stent. Yes, I know, because really, I've asked people, and Coulter in particular, years ago, so point to a serious scientist who doesn't believe the global warming is happening, and her answer was that on Fox News, they have them on all the time, and I said, just give me a name, and we never arrived at a name. They have him on all the time on Fox that, that, News. That yeah. person yeah. Is, is always there, yeah. so I'll find him again. But moving on to health care, uh, what do you think about the current Affordable Care Act? And do you use the term Obamacare? I don't like that you know, term. I, I find it kind of demeaning. It is demeaning. Yeah. It's a term of derision as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, that, you know, if, as people come to appreciate it more and more, and maybe it'll take on a different connotation, maybe that'll change. But uh, I call it the Affordable Care Act. And uh, this is not the salvation of our health care problems. It, it doesn't fix everything. But uh, I, I wouldn't minimize the significance of it either. It's a big, big deal to get 95-plus percent of the American people under the umbrella of insurance coverage. That's huge. That takes away this hospital room or the emergency room as, as uh, primary care for millions of Americans and the, the, the costs that that foists on the rest of us and the dysfunction that it brings, frankly, to our health care system. Um, it gives us a chance to start emphasizing primary care and wellness and some of the other policies in the Affordable Care Act take us further in that direction. So uh, I, I think it's huge. Reining in some of the abusive practices of the, the health insurance industry is huge. The fact that 85% of your premium dollars have to go to health care instead of profits and administrative costs. The fact that they can't dump you for hitting some lifetime cap because you got really, really sick or that they won't give you insurance because you had a pre-existing condition. These are big, big improvements. And we can't go back. We've got to keep moving forward. I, I'd like to see us go all the way forward to national health insurance, but that's, that's probably a few years down the road. And have you seen any recent polls about how people are starting to feel about the Affordable Health Care Act? And I've seen some yeah. stories recently about people who are arguing that it is up to the individual to take care of themselves. And, of course, I believe that to a large extent. But when people get sick and they have to go to the hospital, generally that is taken care of just because we're that type of society. And exactly. it has to, the money has to come from somewhere, so it's still being paid for by us regardless. Right. So there has to be a more efficient way of handling these problems. But what, what do you think the trend right now is in the country? I think it, there's a real disconnect. If you ask them about the Affordable Care Act or specifically about Obamacare, you're going to get a slim majority that doesn't like it, that thinks uh, thinks poorly of it. Um, but if you ask them about specific components of it, you're going to get overwhelming support. If you ask them about the fact that now uh, we have a law that says being a woman is not a pre-existing condition, uh, that's a good idea. Uh, yes, yeah, I would agree with that. We should probably have gender equality uh, in the terms of our health insurance coverage. 
And I have watched uh, a debate or two uh, involving you and Dan Roberts, and uh, I've, I've heard him talk about, as you mentioned earlier, that he would uh, defund uh, Planned Parenthood. And uh, that is unfortunate. I understand that is a trend within the Republican Party, that they would like to see that go away for reasons that revolve solely around uh, abortion, it yeah. appears. But it, it, what is the likelihood of that happening, as far as you're concerned? Oh, I think there's a real danger of that and even more happening. And I, I think it's hanging in the balance in, in this election right now. I mean, look, the House of Representatives voted to do it. So... That's how narrow it is. And uh, I think one of the challenges that our president is going to have in this third and final debate Monday night, he's got to make it clear to people that it's it's as simple as this. If you elect Mitt Romney president, Roe versus Wade is gone. It's just gone. He's going to get two appointments to the Supreme Court uh, in the next presidential term. And look, this is a guy that said he'd be delighted to sign a law outlawing abortion. So there's, there should be no question about that. And we've got to make sure that especially women understand the stakes in this election. I don't know how uh, women can vote for Mitt Romney. And I know I seem like a uh, seething Democrat. I'm registered as nonpartisan, by the way. But, well, I, again, I, I just I, I find it mystifying that women vote for Mitt Romney. And I, I understand that people will yeah. be upset by me saying that, but I, I just I, I can't imagine. There are binders of women that might vote for him, but we need to make sure we have even bigger binders. I have to find those binders. And on the phone now from Eureka is Catherine. Catherine, good morning. You are on with Jared Huffman. Hi there. Um, thank you for taking my call, John and Matthews. And um, thank you, Mr. Um, well, Jared, for being on the show. Um, it's, it's a fun conversation, and I, I'm certainly in the binders on the other side. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I guess I would agree with a lot of the things that you're saying. I really appreciate your elaborating more on your views. But um, you. just a quick um, question about um, the, the economy here, obviously, is still still trying to reach a, a new high, you know, I mean, as far as we're trying to pick up the pieces from the housing yeah. um, problems and, and other things. So I was just wondering, what what would you um, have as ideas for helping out small businesses mm-hmm. here? And I live in Eureka, but just in our area, um, maybe bringing more um, business up, up the coast um, from the larger um, regions down down in California, and, and how how would you help uh, the small business person? I know that's okay. kind of um, a hard to define term too. Now that we're finding out, kind of that larger corporation, like larger corporations, can fall under those um, definitions in in some people's arenas. But we're talking about the small businessmen yeah. here okay. on the coast. All right, thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Thanks, Catherine. So let, let me uh, unpackage that. There's a lot in that question. Um, starting with the fact that I think the broader policies that I support are going to be good for, for all business and job creation. And again, infrastructure, uh, tax fairness, investments uh, in public education and in the productivity of our, of our country and our workforce. Uh, but more specifically to the North Coast, uh, what, what can the next member of Congress do to help and, and to, to Humboldt County specifically? Um, I want to get small businesses better access to capital. That's been a problem. Uh, our big banks, uh, where most of the money is, have been parking records amounts of 
cash at the Federal Reserve instead of uh, sitting down with their homeowners and working out ways to uh, to buy down some of their negative equity, help them keep their homes, uh, instead of getting them out to small businesses who would like to hire people and uh, take risks and grow the economy. And I think there are a number of things that we can do to help change that. Uh, I personally think the Federal Reserve ought to charge interest for money that's parked there. A lot of other countries do, including some of the Scandinavian countries that have done really well during this global economic downturn. They don't have free parking of cash, and that what that does is takes those trillions of dollars and keeps them in the economy instead of sitting on the sidelines. There's a number of things like that we can do. The health care reform that we just talked about, I think, is critical to small businesses because every job we create uh, here in this country, as long as health care costs are out of control, uh, generally comes with a really huge price tag of health insurance that our competitors in many other countries just don't bear. So it's a real uh, skewed playing field. The other thing I've got to do as a member of Congress is understand what's going on around this district and, and try to be helpful in moving things forward. So, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you from Ferndale right now, and there's a huge project going on here, the Salt River Restoration Project that has a number of federal agencies involved and federal funding involved. Part of my job when I hopefully take office in January is to make sure that the the federal government is following through and making that happen. It's going to be hugely beneficial to this area. It's going to create an awful lot of jobs in the next several years. And there's lots of things like that going on all over the district where a hardworking member of Congress can really make a different a difference, almost on a project-specific basis. Uh, people don't think of that often, but that, that can sometimes make a bigger difference to jobs and local economies than some of these bigger policies that we talk about. But it, it all has to work. So let's take another call because we're running short on time. But let's go to Jennifer over in Fortuna, who has thoughts on gun rights. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. Uh, Thank you for um, taking my question, and thank you, Jared, for being on the radio today. Thank you. Um, I have a question for you. You know, you mentioned Roe versus Wade will be gone because of the two Supreme Court justices being um, appointed in the next election. And I I wanted to know, um, you know, of course, uh, some of us have heard that President Obama might want to get rid of our gun rights as a result of two Supreme Court justices being uh, appointed. So my question to you is, where do you kind of stand on that as far as our constitutional rights with the with our guns. Thanks well, for calling, Brenda. Yeah. F- first of all, I, I think we saw when President Obama first got elected, there was a run on guns and, and people were trying to buy them up as quickly as possible because there was all this hysteria that he wanted to eliminate guns. And, you know, there, there has just been a lot of stuff like this lobbed at President Obama. And we could speculate about the reasons why, you know, the stuff about his birth certificate and is he a Muslim and does he want to get rid of your guns? And they're just an awful lot of people for, for different reasons that... Um, that I think subscribed to all sorts of conspiracy theories about this president that I do not agree with. Uh, he hasn't done anything in the last four years to suggest that he would try to take away people's guns. He just hasn't. That's a matter of fact. Uh, in the debate the other night, he was asked about it. And if anything, people like the Brady campaign are disappointed that he he kind of punted on the question about uh, what would he do on an assault weapons ban. He did say uh, that, that he thought military-grade assault weapons should not be in the hands of regular people, and I agree with him on that. Uh, but I, I really don't think you're going to see any huge... Uh, gun control initiative from this president in the next four years. Uh, and and frankly, um, 
you asked also about my position, uh, and, and I, uh, I firmly believe in people's rights to uh, bear arms uh, for self-defense and for hunting, and certainly the traditional types of guns that have been used for those reasons are ones that ought to continue to be available, but I'm against assault weapons being in the hands of, uh, of regular folks, and I think uh, even with respect to some of these semi-automatic weapons that we've seen in the high-profile uh, killings lately in Colorado and other places, we need a much better, much tighter set of regulations around those type of weapons. And in the issues and news section of your website right beneath uh, women's rights, which we touched on briefly moments ago, there's the LGBT rights uh, paragraph that you've yeah. listed here. And do you have any plans for same-sex marriage uh, if you are, in fact, in office? Do you have... Uh... I, I support marriage equality unequivocally, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that's something that you will champion or when the day arrives? I or... will... Try, I will repeal the Defense of Marriage Act uh, if I can. Okay. Uh, I will certainly support marriage equality in every way, but I, I think this is on its way through the courts in a way that will probably resolve itself. Okay. And one more call before we're out. Let's go to Brenda in Blue Lake. Hello, Brenda. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Good. So I, what's your question? My question is what can... Jared do to cease the production of ethanol as it evidently damages your car and also releases more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and has raised the price of food um, globally, I think, and uses a lot of water um, to make the fuel, so it's kind of bad all the way around. All right, thank you, Brenda. Thanks for the question, Brenda. So I have voted in the past, will vote in the future, to eliminate subsidies to corn-based ethanol, which I think uh, is is really the problem that, that you're talking about. And it does have the impacts you've described. Um, I do believe in alternative fuels. I do believe we're going to need to uh, invest in biofuels. But the corn-based ethanol experiment, I think, has kind of run its course. And we've seen all manner of unintended consequences from environmental ones to, as you say, uh, impacts on food prices. The fact that dairies have to pay so much for for uh, corn these days because uh, of that demand. So uh, let's move on to other types of alternative fuels that can uh, help us achieve our goals. Well, Jared, thank you for your time this morning in this very hot room. I appreciate that. And if you'd like to meet Jared Huffman, you can go to the Warfinger Building. That's over on One Marina Way. Tonight, it is from 5.30 to 7.30. You're calling it a seaside social. Yeah, lots of fresh seafood, good fun. Hope you can join us tonight at 5.30. Okay. Jared Huffman. And coming up on Monday at 9, uh, 10 o'clock, excuse me, it'll be Dan Roberts. He is running against Jared Huffman. So, again, thank you, Jared, and good luck uh, with your trip here in Humboldt County. Thanks, John, for having me. You're welcome.